If you'd like to turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, that's actually where we'll be. <clears throat> but, again, we've been looking at walking in the Spirit. 5.16, Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, the, the uh, desire of the sin force, as it were. And you say, well, how, how intense is that bad eye? I really like the story of this one man. I think I've told you before. On Ju- July 20th, 1993, Don Wyman was clearing land near Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, as part of his work for a mining company. In the process, a tree rolled onto a shin, causing a severe break and pinning Wyman to the ground. He cried for help for an hour, but no one came. He concluded that the only way to save his life would be to cut off his own leg. So he made a tourniquet out of a shoestring and tightened it with a wrench. Then he took his pocket knife and cut through the skin, the muscle, and bone just below the knee and freed himself from the tree. He crawled 30 yards to a bulldozer, drove a quarter mile to his truck, then maneuvered the standard transmission with his good leg and a hand until he reached a farmer's house one and a half miles away with his leg bleeding profusely. Farmer John Hubbard Jr. helped him get to a hospital where his life was spared. Now, what can you say about Don Wyman? Crazy? Crazy? <laughs> By the way, I think many of us would just sit there and die being you know, bled to death. He loved life. He loved life. He was willing to be radical to save his own physical life. You know, Jesus knew that humans loved to live. So he appealed to this passion in order to show the importance of purity. Again, you remember Matthew 5 says, But I say to you, Jesus speaking, I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body be cast into hell. He said the same thing about his right arm. It would be better to cut off your right arm than for your whole body to be cast into hell. By the way, just because you gouge out your right eye doesn't mean that your left eye can't still lust. So what is Jesus saying in that? He's not saying to physically mutilate yourself. What he's saying is, when it comes to sin, be radical. Deal with your sin radically. Deal with your sin completely. Don't mess around with sin. Do it with a whole heart. Do it with an intensity. Be committed to the process of sanctification. Be committed to the process of holiness. Now think about that. A lot of us would look at the man that had to cut off his leg and say, I don't think I could do that. Well, but what if you knew that you could save your life through that? Is your life important enough? Let's look at the spiritual side, though. Is your spiritual life important enough to do whatever it takes to grow in holiness. That's the point. See, some of us, perhaps many of us, play around with sin. We forget that it wants to kill us. It wants to destroy us, and yet we play with sin. And I don't mean just the sexual sin. I'm saying all types of sin. But again, in Matthew, or excuse me, Galatians chapter 5, hopefully you're there by now, Jesus or Paul is talking about how do we conquer the flesh? How do we conquer the sin force? And again, it's the key is the Spirit. Again, verse 16, Walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The, lu- the lust of the sin principle, the sin force, that part that's still with you that wants to go against God. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. It's contrary. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. If you're led, in other words, if it's the Spirit that's guiding you, and then he gives you the checkoff list. He gives a positive or a negative one first and then a positive one. And he basically is given this so that he can say, listen, test yourself. One, see if you're in the faith. Two, see if you're spiritual. Just go to the list. We'll just look at verses 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh, the sin force, that which is against God that's still resident in your body, are evident. It's, it's obvious. These are obvious things that are not from God. These are from the flesh. These are things that Satan would love to capture you with, that the world is all about. These are evident, which are what? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. And then he goes, by the way, there's four sections. Those are sexual sins. 
And then he goes, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunk. I mean, isn't that a... Man, look at that list. And you might say, well, can Christians commit those? Yes, that's why he's talking to Christians. Not consistently, but they can commit those. Where did I leave off? Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is very important. Those who consistently do those things are not saved. Those who do those things may think they're saved, but they are not saved, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So again, uh, four sets, and and let me uh, break those apart. Again, the first one is, the first set are sexual sins. If you have your outline, you want to fill that in. Sexual sins, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Again, fornication is all kinds of sexual perversions, but those are the actions. And what he does is he he basically uses those four words as kind of like a... um, a uh, downward spiral. He goes from actions, which are adultery, fornication, but then he says uncleanness and lewdness. Uncleanness means just dirty. But he's talking dirty morally, but dirty morally in the soul. As I said last week, that was used of an oozing wound. Just the putridness of looking at it. And, And that's the uncleanness that's found in the heart that's willing to go after all those sexual perversions. You know, everything from watching it, pornography, to doing it, adultery, fornication. It is very important that you understand it's a very serious sin against God to commit immorality. Our society promotes it and maybe it's like the frog in the kettle. We sometimes think, well, it's not that big of a deal. In fact, have you ever been watching a movie and the girl and the guy are about ready to get together? Not even married. But in your heart, you're like, oh, I hope they get together. What do you mean? They're committing fornication. You see what the, the media has just done to you? They've, they've, they've helped you to want to have them sin. And I've done the same thing. It's like, wait a second, I've got to be thinking God's thoughts. But then lewdness is open and reckless contempt for propriety. In other words, debauchery, the New American or NIV says, or sensuality. But the idea is this is when you flagrantly flaunt it in public. You know, that's the end of the spiral, the sexual sin. You start out with doing it, but now you're flaunting it. You're promoting it. You know, a good example, again, would be the gay pride parade or any of that. Anybody that promotes immorality, that's lewdness. By the way, hold your hand in Galatians 5. Just go real quickly to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 5. As we close down this section on sexual sin... Colossians 3, 5, therefore, and he says therefore at verse 5 because he's just talked about us sitting with, uh, being with Christ in the heavenlies, okay, setting our minds on the things above. In other words, we're with Christ in the sense that we've been resurrected with him. And he says, therefore, verse 5, put to death your members. And he's not talking about, again, cutting off your hand. He gives the members right here. He's saying the things that are in your life that are opposed to God, against God. Be, be severe. This is a, like a, a synonymous verse with Matthew 5 where Jesus says, cut off your hand, gouge out your eye. Here he says, put to death your members which are on the earth. What? Fornication. That's again the word pornea. Same word. Uncleanness. Found it over in uh, Galatians 5. Passion. Evil desire. But then notice the last two. Covetousness or greed. More. Wanting more. Which is idolatry. Now, why do I bring you here? Because he identifies the true root of where sensuality comes from. More. I want more. The eyes of man are never satisfied. When it comes to sensual sexual sins, they're never satisfied. They always want more. By the way, I'm not saying that every person that does a sexual sin wants more, but that's where the seed is at. Okay, I mean, he may not show it or she may not show it. But again, that's where the root issue is. I want more covetousness, greed, which is idolatry. Now hold on to that thought, idolatry. Now go back to Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Because we go from sexual sins, look at the next one he says, verse 20, idolatry, sorcery. That's another set of sins. You could call them, the, if you want to have an ask, spiritual sins. It's how you're relating to God. In other words, what is idolatry? 
It is a quest to find our identity and security in something other than God. That's bottom line. You're finding your identity and your security in something other than God. You may want to find your identity and security in money. That can be an idol. In a relationship, that can be an idol. Your identity and security in something other than God. Um, you may find it in sex. I mean, I think this is... Some would say, well, why does he go from sex to idolatry? Because sexuality can become an idol. Example. My sex life is not good enough. I'm going to get rid of her and get somebody else. You see what it is, I, just, I just said? That's an idol. That has become more important to me than walking with God. Okay? When a person says that. Or acts like that. Um, no, sex can be an idol very easily. Again... Anything that you, you are finding security in. Or say it this way, anything that you say, I need. I have to have this. And those are good. sometimes they're good things that you want, but they become idols. Uh, things that, that are more the, the signs out there, the, the, the warning signs, is again, I told you last week, worry. Matthew 6 talks about no man can serve two masters. Worry is a sign, like a warning sign saying, wait, idolatry's in your heart. But other things can be there. Coveting is that warning sign. Discontentment often leads right, shows that there's idolatry. Anger, bitterness, anxiety, greed, all those things are idolatrous. They're more of the root issues. See, we walk around sometimes saying, well, you know, I, I struggle with this. But what God would say is, listen, understand there's idolatry in your heart. Now, I can't go into a full explanation of that. Only to say this, that one of the works of the flesh, verse 20, is idolatry. The flesh wants to get you not to depend on God. That's the point. Not to find your identity and security in God. It just keeps wanting to have... It, it forces you to look at the... I mean, it like pushes you to look at the news to find out if the world is going to fall apart because find your security in what uh, Fox News says. Find your security in what your bank statement says. Find your security in what your relationships are. You know what I'm saying? The point is, find your identity and security in anything else other than God. By the way, God then prize and, you know, gives you issues in your life. And maybe it's a health issue or maybe it's a financial issue or maybe it's a relational issue. And why does he do that? Why does God allow those things in your life, those struggles? Uh, you were worshiping that. And now we're bringing it up to the surface so now you can deal with it because you never even knew you were worshiping that. Right? Remember, our hearts are factories that, that just go after idols, make idols. Uh, John Calvin said that our hearts are like factories that produce idols. So what does he do? He puts trouble. Thankfully, he puts trouble in our life. Otherwise, we would never know that. We would just go through life thinking, oh, everything's great. So that's idolatry. That's a spiritual sin. I, what I mean by spiritual, in other words, it, it, it points more towards religion. And then sorcery. Let, let's, this is new stuff here. Sorcery, witchcraft, pharmacaea. As John Philip said, the empty soul of man, estranged from God, craves some contact with, with the supernatural. Like Ecclesiastes says, eternity is in their hearts. In other words, we crave for the supernatural. It's very easy. And then you, you take an unsaved person, dominated by the flesh. What, what happens when? Well, evil spirits are more than willing to oblige in that area. So rather than leading you towards God, they lead you in the opposite direction. And I think what he's talking about there over sorcery is all the witches and mediums and um, astrologers, soothsayers, you know, everything that's out there, all that stuff is from the flesh. Looking for God, wanting to have an ex keyword, an experience with the spiritual, but not going in the, in the direction of God. Again, Satan principalities and powers, the rulers of this world's darkness. Uh, think of Ephesians 6, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness. There's four things there, and it seems like what he's saying is there's this hierarchy, hierarchy of wickedness out there, spiritual wickedness. And, and people say, well, well, how do you get into sorcery then? Well, there's avenues, Ouija boards, seances, trances, incantations. I mean, you got all this stuff. You have the Wiccan movement. You have, but you know what? There's more than just that. Uh, 
demon possession, yes, black magic is part of it, but you can also have healings and prophecies and signs and wonders and tongues. See, some of those things get you into that system too. By the way, I, I know there's a big thing with tongues. I'm not trying to define tongues. All I'm trying to say is this. Man is trying to look for the supernatural, but they don't go to the Bible. And sometimes even Christians try to have a better or second blessing, a better experience. And that can lead you down the wrong path. You want to see the power of God in your life. You know how it's, it's most evident? Salvation, regeneration, and sanctification. That's how, you know, people say, well, I want more of God. Well, actually, God has, God has given you as much as He's going to... We need to be given more to God. Do you get the point? In other words, I don't need more of God. God needs to control more of me. Do you see the difference there? There's a big difference there. So I'm not looking for more of God. God gave me everything at, this, at the moment of salvation. He gave me His Spirit. He's complete. I'm sealed. Now I just have to go through the process of giving myself more to Him. Boy, I want more of God. No, no. He wants more of you. No, I want to experience God more. He wants more of you. And I tell you what, you want to see the power of God? See it destroy sin, the flesh, in your life. That's what we should be focused on. Not some better experience, but seeing sin, in other words, becoming more sanctified. So we have spiritual sin, sorcery, and, well, we kind of went off. Well, I know how we got off there, because there's all this stuff out there, even within Christianity, it's like yearning for the experiential, and God says, I want to make you more like my son. How about the personal sins? Number three section. And it starts off with hatred. Uh, let's see here. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred. These are the social sins, relationship sins. Social. In other words, sins that are done within the Christian community. All right, now, now think about just what we've talked about. There are sins primarily about the sexual, which is very, by the way, very strong. Sex drive, very strong. Destroys a lot of people. Then there are sins that have to do with the relationship with God, how we look at God. Idolatry, in other words, independence from Him. That's what the flesh wants, is independence from God. And now there's this whole series of sins that have to do with the social interacting with Christians. Now, I want, by the way, there's like eight or nine of them. This is huge. The flesh, the sin force within each Christian wants to separate that Christian from the rest of the body of Christ. Wants to destroy the church of Christ. Wants to do a damage. In other words, separation, divide and conquer. These are divide and conquer sins. Again, the flesh hates God and His people. <laughs> And so I want you to kind of think about that as we look at these sins. The first one is hatred. It's actually a very close related word to enemy. So I mean, you can kind of see where it's going. It wants to create enemies. It is, quote, to dislike or detest another. Oh, that John, that's not in my heart. Well, I, I do understand, according to 1 John, that love is in your heart if you're a Christian. But you know what? This force wants to create animosity wants to create problems between Christians. This is, by the way, an attitude ver uh, word, an attitude, motivation, more than an action. And it's an umbrella term. I think from this one, this hatred, now, then you'll say, bang, 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 this is what happens when you have hatred in your heart. Okay? Because, again, this word hatred is in a plural form, which, as one man said, refers to hateful attitudes and has multiple manifestations. And you see hate in a lot of different areas. I mean, classes, nations, religions, politics. You know, everyone has their way. But if you think about why is it there is so much hate in this world? Why is it that we do, can't get along so often? Because of self-love. I love myself. I love what I believe. In fact, what I believe is 100% right. It's all you guys have the problem. See, we got to... And I just wish you'd get on the bandwagon. And if I say it, it has to be right. No. By the way, in Christ, there is neither what? Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. Well, help me with the last one. I, uh, male nor female. How did I forget that one? Equality? I mean, still roles, but the point is, is that Christ has brought us into one body. Anyways, hatred. Look at number two. Contention among individuals. 
It includes bitter conflict. This is the action that plays off of hatred. Okay, do you see how hatred is an attitude? And now we have contentions. There's bitter conflict. Is the natural outcome of hatred. In other words, wrong attitudes lead to wrong actions. Rivalry. You ever see rivalry in a church? It's a very sad thing when you see rivalry in the church. Contentions that cannot be... I've seen it. I mean, I've been here long enough to see it a number of times. Someone's upset. I go. They go. Whatever. Someone goes. No, I don't want to make it right. Isn't that sad? Isn't it sad that a person that says they have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of unity, can't get along with another person that has the Spirit of unity? And I'll tell you what. That's what the flesh wants. It wants to create it so that others are seen as the enemy. At times, that's exactly how it gets even in a church. It doesn't just like you're irritating me. It's like you're the other side. What's interesting with this word contentions, it's the word iris. But the interesting part is, it's used nine times in the New Testament, five of which specifically referring to Christians with Christians. In other words, Paul's using this word Many times in the context, and I'm not even including this one in Galatians, I'm talking five other times he's using it for Christians not being able to get along with other Christians. What's also interesting is many times when this word is used, it's also used in conjunction with our next word, which is jealousy. In other words, contention and jealousy go hand in hand. Now, what is a jealous? Again, a contention is rivalry. Jealousy is got, talking about zeal, but zeal in the wrong area. Okay, it, It's a form of anger. It leads to fits of anger and hateful resentment caused by coveting for oneself what belongs to someone else. In other words, because of jealousy, there is contention. Okay, So there again, jealousy is more of a motivation. It's the competition. It's actually what... Uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13 says in love, uh, verse 4, um, love is patient, love is kind. Love is not envious, okay? Does not envy. Well, actually, that's the word right there, except in the, in the verb form over there. Love is not envious. Love, true love doesn't have this rivalry, this competition. True love doesn't say, I want what someone else has or I wish they didn't have it. True love is willing to give. True love is truly happy for someone when they are promoted. But you might ask, well, why? Why is there jealousy? Because our hearts have a tendency to compare. Isn't that true? Do our hearts compare? Now, let's just be honest here. When you hear of someone getting something or having something done to them, a success, you know, isn't there a little bit of a tinge like, oh, I wish I could? You ever feel like that? I wish I... I mean, think about how many families have been destroyed because of jealousy. Sibling rivalry. Someone got something when they were 10 years old, 15 years old. They were treated different by mom and dad. And you know what? I got along with them, but inside my heart, there was anger. Okay? Do you get the drift? Do you see how this hatred, contention, jealousy starts to work along in your life? In other words, a lot of times there's contention and rivalry even within a church. I just said family, but in a church. And a lot of times it has nothing to do with the issue that's being brought up. It has to do with this other thing that's being motivated by jealousy. I mean, I can remember when he did, you know, it might have been 20 years ago. See, love and jealousy are mutually exclusive. That's why I say 1 Corinthians. Love does not envy. (laughs) When you have love... You don't have competition. You don't have discontentment. You don't have comparing when you have love. But again, there's a lot of that going on in our lives. Again, not only in the church, not only in family. I've actually stepped back and said, Lord, I don't want to just preach this. I want, Lord, show me if this is in my life. And it is. There are times when people are something good and it's like, ah. I, I, I may not wish it against them. I would just say this. Boy, I wish I was able to. What? That's not love. By the way, I have love in my heart, but I also have this sin force that still wants to cause division among people. How about the next one? Verse 4. Outburst, or number 4. Outbursts of anger or wrath, either way. Well, by the way, when you get contentious and hatred and you have jealousy, you know what happens periodically? You blow. That's what this is. This is the volcano that blew. It's the word thumas. 
Thumos is really a positive or negative. The word itself can either be really positive, passionate, or it can have a real negative blow. You know, let's face it, when a volcano blows, it doesn't construct, it destroys, right? And when this person finally blows, after all this has been in for a while, these hostilities towards others, they blow. And the interesting thing is, usually without good reason. It just happens. You can see this in families periodically. You know, you, you want to start talking and resolving something, and all of a sudden, it's like, you're, you know, it's almost like your hair, you know, you're talking to somebody, but you're like, where did that come from? Well, where it came from were those other things. There was animosity and and irritation. There might have been jealousy. There was contention in the heart. And all of a sudden now, the outburst of wrath. Okay? And wrath originates when there's selfish motivations that are associated or hurtful pride. That's when it becomes sinful. Again, there's good anger. We've seen that many times. God is angry. That's good anger. But this is talking about sinful anger. Sinful anger that blows. Have you ever blown? Watched somebody blow? Obviously. Aristotle compared this term to dogs that, quote, bark if there is but a knock at the door before looking to see if it is a friend. In other words, just blows. Not even with a purpose. And by the way, it can have severe consequences. Think of Moses. Speak to the rock. You know what happened? Couldn't go into the promised land. You think that's severe? You see it in your own life periodically? Blow, you can say things that that person will remember for the next 10 years. Be careful. That can also happen in a church. I just say it as it is. No, you're a fool. Don't say it as it is. Say it gently. Say it with kindness. You know, I'm not saying don't say it, but make sure you're under the Spirit's control. How about the next one? Selfish ambition. This is a motivator. This is a motivator again. See, he's going from motivations to actions. Selfish ambition. This was used by the Greeks often in, in, in the idea of, quote, self-seeking pursuit, especially in a political way. In other words, a selfish ambition would be someone who goes out, tries to get a following, gets voted into office because they want to be the leader in that particular region. Okay, That's how it was used. But here he's saying, listen, Christians can be motivated by selfish ambition. In other words, they're not really trying to do it to build Christ's church. They're trying to get a following. Okay. In other words, there's a lot of selfish ambitions. Uh, I want my opinion to be heard. By the way, if you don't hear my opinion, I don't even want to serve you. Wait a second. This is, this is why we say it periodically. This is not my church. This is not even our church. Whose church is this? This is the Lord's church. He bought it with his precious blood, Peter, right? So, are selfish ambitions often in the church? Yeah, I think you can see them. Remember Diotrephes in the third John, verse 9, who loves to have the preeminence among them. There's Diotrephes. He wanted a following. Rather than how Paul said in Philippians 2, let nothing be done through selfish ambition, same word, or empty conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So he's given us not only the, the symptom, but the solution. What's the solution? That we need to have lowliness of mind. We need to esteem each other. Boy, you want to get away from the selfish ambitious ambitions, these outs, outbursts of anger and wrath? Then seek to serve each other, especially in the church of Christ. What's interesting, as you look at, this, look at these that we just had, hatred, contention, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition. Those from contention, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, also end up in another passage. In 2 Corinthians 12, don't turn there. Verse 20, it says this, Paul speaking to the Corinthians, I fear, lest when I come to you, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions and jealousies and outbursts of wrath and selfish ambitions. He, he writes to the church and he says, Listen, I fear that when I come to you, I'm going to find this part of the list in your church. I would hope that if Paul, if the Lord himself came to this church, he would not find us amongst us. That we would not be characterized. I'm not saying we never have a 
a conflict. I'm saying, but it's not doesn't characterize our church. In fact, then he goes on in the same verse. He says, I hope I don't find these contentions and jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition. He goes on. Backbiting. The whisper, the gossip. Whisperings. Conceits. Tumults. I've said it a number of times over the months. Gossip is one of the most destructive things in a church. If you have a problem with someone, you know what you need to do? Go see the person. Isn't that a simple thought? And I'll tell you what, if you're listening to gossip, you need to tell that person to stop. You are seeking to go in the path of the flesh, right? Man, don't encourage somebody to, to you know, uh, drag out garbage of a Christian, a leadership of the church. And I'm not even talking just this church. I don't want to hear it of another church. I mean, I'll take care of it if you want me to do that. But my first question is someone that wants to rag on another church, another pastor, have you talked to him? What do you mean you haven't talked to him? Why are you talking to me if you haven't talked to him? Right? I, I would hope that my commitment to you is this. If someone has something against you and they want to talk to me, my first, my first comment is going to be, did you talk to them? Did you talk to him? Did you talk to her? Because again, that's what these conflicts are made of. You know, when you, when you have outbursts of wrath and selfish ambition, Paul says, listen, the other things that are coming is backbiting and whispering. How about the next word? Dissension. Dissension. Caused by taking sides. We get our word dichotomy. In other words, there's two factions. It happens in families. It can happen in a church. It happens among Christians. That's what a dissension is. There's two sides. It denotes a state of affairs where men are divided and feuds flourish. Now let's remember, this is the works of the flesh. This is what the flesh just loves. Oh, yeah, get them divided. Because let's face it, a divided church is a useless church in the, in the, in the eyes of the world. <laughs> they can't even get along. Why would I ever think about their stance? One, one observer... I thought made a pretty profound statement. He said this, There is hardly an issue in life that men will not squabble and divide over. There is not hardly an issue. I think the Bills are the best. No, I think the Giants are. Eh, You know, we squabble about everything, but now we get into the real issues. These are the real issues. It's almost like within the heart of man wanting to squabble. 1 Corinthians 3, again, Paul says to the Corinthians, Aren't you still carnal? And he uses the word flesh. Aren't you still fleshly? For where there are envy, that's the word jealousy we looked at, and strife, we just saw that, and divisions, that's this word, among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So Paul says, listen, if you, if you spot this in a body of believers, understand you're walking in the flesh, not the spirit. The, the characteristic of walking in the spirit is you, you resolve your conflicts. If you know that your brother has something against you, like Matthew 5 says, you, you go and take, it, take care of it. If you're the offender, you go take care of it. But if your brother sins against you, like Matthew 18 says, you go and confront your brother, even if you're the, there, the offendee, or offender, no, offended, excuse me. <laughs> the point is this, whether you're the offender or the offended, if you know there's an issue between someone else, go to them. You, don't, you never wait, that's the point. I should have just said that. You know what's another thing about people who cause division in churches? They think they're the spiritual ones. I've noticed that a few times when I've dealt with people. They put themselves up as the spiritual ones. Well, I have the higher standard. That's why I'm, that's why I'm bringing this up. You know? I mean, that's why, that's why you're lower than mud, and I'm trying to tell you, John, that you're lower than mud. Really. It's interesting. People who cause divisions think they're the spiritual ones. They can't, they can't resolve it. They don't want to resolve it, but they're the spiritual ones. And then he goes on to another word, heresies. That word is actually from the concept of taking or, uh, of act of taking or capturing. And I believe this, it is the result of those starting with hatred all the way down here. I believe you get heresies when these things are not able to function in church. See, when you start saying, well, it's all about me. It's all about my doctrine. It's all about my... And, and you divide, you're going to get heresies out of that. Because you're no longer working together, you're wor- working as an island. 
This word heresy was used of the sect of the Pharisees or the sect of the Sadducees. In other words, this group. And the idea is this. They're over here. They weren't part of fundamental Judaism, really. Not the true Judaism. They're the other. Peter talks about destructive heresy. Let me say this. I am not saying that there will never be a division in the church. There are times that you have to stand up and say, that is not truth, and we are not going in that direction. But again, this idea that there's a, you know, 525 different types of Baptists, let's get along. You know, let's start working for the same Lord. By the way, you might say, are you derogatory towards Baptists? I'm a Baptist at heart. I want you to know that. Did you know that the Baptists, like three, four hundred years ago, actually had elders as part of their leadership team? Yeah, so I'm really a Baptist at heart. So I'm not banging on any of you that are Baptists, okay, at heart. Baptists have a lot, but you know what? It seems like there's always these church splits over the minutest of things, right? Come on, can't we get along? Can't we work? Now, again, there are reasons to split. And I think you have to be very discerning in our world. I, I, I like to listen periodically to uh, WLEA talk show, um, talk radio. <laughs> and I was listening to Glenn Beck this last week. I've noticed he keeps talking about the healing power of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you ever listened to Glenn Beck. I, I like listening to him. He's kind of radical. Kind of. Like you get a little pregnant, you know. <laughs> Remember this, though. I, I got on and looked at his bio. I mean, he's a staunch Mormon. So, I mean, no matter what you're talking about as far as the healing power of Jesus Christ, understand these are some of the tenets of Mormonism. God the Father was once a man, but became God. He has a physical body, as does his wife. There is no trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are three different persons, three different gods. I mean, that's just the Godhead. Jesus was a man. Now he's God. Was a product of the union of the Father and the Mother. I mean, way out there. Okay, cult. Well, I thought you said to get along, no divisions. No, no. There is a time to say, wait a second. That's heresy. That's the other. That's not fundamental Christianity. Okay, that's just an example. But, but what, I think what he's talking about is, is even just this idea of not wanting to get along. The flesh wants to divide. Let me look, give you the last few. Envy. Another motive. As one man said, people tend to be unhappy when others succeed. This word envy is the other side of jealousy, okay? It is when you become discontented because of another's success or advantage. Or as Socrates says, the envious are pained by their friends' successes. And Solomon says it's rottenness in our bones. You've got to really watch out for envy and jealousy. You really do. Because it just creeps up on you. It wants to destroy those around him. It's like a contemporary cartoon featured a dog sitting at a bar. Now think about a dog sitting at a bar. But he says this. It's not just that dogs have to win, but cats have to lose. When it comes to envy, it says, it's not just that I want to succeed, it's that I, I don't want them to succeed. It comes in forms as a pastor is when I hear of another church going through a struggle or a pastor falling and in the, in the heart at times there's this little thought of like, oh, I'm glad it's not me and I wonder how bad he really was almost wanting to find out. Wanting to pass on a story. I hear people, people want to pass on what, hurt, what, what has hurt another person. That root right there is envy. By the way, this word is used of unbelievers, false teachers, Christian leaders. But in 1 Peter 2, it says, Lay aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all evil speaking. And that's talking to believers. Talking about the person. So what I'm saying is this. It has to be evident in our lives at times because that's why Peter brought it up. Okay, Listen, just look out for it. Look out when you have a tendency to be satisfied when you find out that someone else are kind of like rejoiced in the failure of another. Be careful. And then finally, murderer. Actually, that's not found in all the transcripts. But again, it, it's interesting that in our section here, this section started with hatred and ended with murder. Because the heart of murder is hatred. That's what drove a murderer to murder. 
Well, let's look at the last list here very quickly. Verse 21, second part, drunkenness and revelries. Now, I've been giving you S's, but it's going to have to be an E or an I or a B. These are excessive sins, indulgent sins, or bodily sins. I don't care which. I couldn't come up with an S. Oh, well. These are indulgent sins. Indulgent sins. Drunkenness. The word is meth. It can mean also intemperate, worldly indulgent of any type. It really doesn't have to do with liquor, but that's the primary. By the way, when it comes to alcohol, the Bible does not prohibit alcohol any more than it prohibits food. It says you can't be drunk and you can't be a glutton. But here he's saying the excess. Getting drunk or I guess our vernacular would be this, getting wasted. Getting to the point where you're, you're, you're no longer under, your, under control. And it, I mean, the classic story is Lot. Remember how his daughters got him drunk, committed incest, and Moab and Ammon came from those immoral unions. So again, a lot of damage happens in drunkenness. The idea is this. Not just that the flesh wants to get you drunk, it just wants to get you so that you're intemperate, that you're not in, under control. That your bodily drives are out of control. It can even be gluttony. Okay? But primarily drunkenness. And then finally, revelries. Which are orgies, carousing, rowdy, loose, boisterous. It's interesting. This is always in the plural. This, this only appears three times, always in the plural. Not just about sexual. Just wild partying. Just partying. You know? It, by the way, it was often characterized by pagan worship ceremonies. They saw a lot of this back in this day and age. But do you see a lot of it now? Oh, sure. I mean, I, it's, it's amazing to me. Like, I live up near, I mean, up in Alfred. And they say, you know, like, I'll go through at like 10 o'clock at night. Nobody's hardly around. You could go right through without. Boy, but you go up there like at uh, 12, 1 o'clock, and they all come out, you know? Especially you go around the one, you know, GJs or whatever it is. I mean, you know, they're all there. Revelries. In fact, back then, this is what one guy said. It's a nighttime or riotous procession, procession of half-drunken, light-hearted fellows who after supper prayed through the streets with torches. And, and this is what they were doing. And, and, and music in honor of the wine god, Bacchus, or some other deity. In other words, just partying. Just party. And anything that goes along with partying. You know? I mean, I guess a modern day would be Mardi, Mardi Gras. Okay? Just party, party for as long as hard as you can till you drop. The, you know, Paul would say this. I mean, he said in Romans 13, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness. He says, don't be there. In fact, in Romans, he says this, not in lewdness or lust, not in strife or envy. He uses a lot of these same words, again, talking to Christians. Don't go down the path of this, just indulging in whatever, just feeding the flesh. Don't get into all this strife. Because again, what, is, what does the flesh want to do? It wants to bring you down in the sexuary. It wants to bring you down in the area of depending on God. It wants to bring you down in how you relate to Christians. Just let things build. Get build because then by the time, then you like this. I don't know why I ever went to that church. Just a bunch of hypocrites. And so then they leave. What's funny is a lot of times they leave for nothing. Nothing. I mean, they're not, they're not landing anywhere. Now they're isolated. Do you see how Satan loves to isolate? Oh, and you can even think that you're all right, but you're isolated. Or these bodily sins. So what does the sin force produce? An unchaste, unholy, uncharitable, undisciplined life. That's what it produces. Self-destruct. And then he ends with this. Of which I tell you beforehand. No, excuse me. And the like. I mean, Paul has really given us a pure looking into hell, right? But he says, and the like. I mean, I could keep going. I could keep going with all the sins that the flesh wants to get you to do. And the like. But notice, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past. I've, I've reminded you of this before. I've told you this before. I mean, as I've wrote to you, as I've been with you, I have told you this before, Galatians. And, and what he's getting at is the second part. This is an ongoing reminder. This is not a one-time deal. 
He's trying to get them to understand, listen, if you're truly saved by faith, you walk by faith and you're a conqueror. By the way, does God want you to have an assurance of your salvation? Corinthians says this, test yourself, see if you're in the faith, examine yourself. Yes, God wants you, but it has to be based on truths that are found in your life. If, if, if these are things that are overwhelming you, and you are not getting victory over, and you don't even want to get victory over, come to the conclusion you're not a believer. That's what the conclusion has to be. Now, if you struggle with these, and you fight and struggle, then there is another conclusion. But, but look at the end of that verse. It says, these will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's heaven. And I wrote in your outline, a free inheritance. A free will not inherit. That word inherit is usually, most often used for inheriting eternal life. Like in Luke 10 where it says, a certain man came to Jesus and he said this, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Paul says, listen, if you're doing these things, I've reminded you over and over again. Those who do these things, those who practice such things, will not inherit God's kingdom, kingdom of God. They're not saved. They might think they're saved. They might be a pastor, a deacon, and a church, and they are not saved. But here's the key. Here is the key. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice, that word practice, is in the present tense. It means habitual, continual falling into these sins. No desire to want to change. You might say this, well, does this mean that anyone who is guilty of any of these vices is going to hell? No. I'm guilty of those vices. Some of them. Over and over again. I mean, does Paul want to try to get you to think you can lose your salvation? Is he trying to create doubt? No, what is he doing? This is a sober warning, guys. If you practice ongoing these things, in other words, those who continually practice such sins give evidence of never having received God's Spirit, His free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. First John, John in First John says the same thing. Now by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. And the, and the verb is in the present tense, just like this one. If you keep His commandments. He goes on in First John. He who says, look at this. He who says, I know him and does not consistently keep his commandments, what does John say, is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected him. By this we know that we are in him. How do I know that I'm in him? Because I seek to keep his word. Oh, it's not perfect. That's why I needed to look at Romans 7 for a few weeks. Oh no, Paul still is saying, listen, the things I want to do, I don't do. This flesh just, and there's times of failure, but I want to do what is right. And there isn't this, I don't consistently sin, I just periodically sin. And then I, in fact, I, I left uh, a little diagram at the bottom of your outline, a proper reaction to sin. What is it? Well, this is, how, this is how my Christian life looks like. Okay? Victory, defeat. Look at number one. One, obedience. I'm being obedient. Sometimes it's not even that long. And then obedience. And then I, what? Sin. What do I do though? Walk away from God? No. <sighs> Lord, repent, hopefully forsake. Do I still struggle with that same sin? Yes, but there's this constant battle. It's the struggle that shows that I'm saved. You get the point? It's the struggle itself. Hopefully you have the struggle. Do you have the struggle? Do you see the direction of your life as moving towards holy, holiness? Not the perfection of your life, the direction of your life. Do you sense that struggle? If you don't sense the struggle, it shows that you're not a believer. I mean, we just peered into some very wicked things. And unfortunately, I say that, these are still in many of our lives. There's not, a one, there's not one of you that's here that one of those sins hasn't touched in it. There's just no way, right? That would say that you're into perfection. No, no, we struggle with these. Sometimes we don't see it quite like that. But the struggle against the flesh shows that this, indeed the Spirit of God truly has taken up residence in that person's life. What does it say? The wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of, of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's what I'm asking of you. 
Have you received the free gift? If you've received the free gift, you get you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, He is driving you, pushing you to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the struggle that says, yes, thank you, Lord, for the struggle. Because it gives me assurance that the Spirit of God is working in my life. Is He working in yours? You know, I remember a story about a slave owner and a, and a, and a slave. And they were out... Uh, moving down the road, <coughs> going duck hunting. And unfortunately, the, uh, the wagon they were on, the wheel went off. And so the master told Sam, the slave, get the wheel back on. And in the process of getting the wheel back on, he hit his hand and swore. And the, the master, who was uh, an unbeliever, but Sam was a believer, the slave was a believer. And, and, the, and, the, and the master said, you know, oh, excuse me, as soon as Sam hit his hand, he swore, but then he like got right down on his knees and started repenting, asking God to forgive him. And seeing this, the master said, Sam, why do you struggle so much? He said, I, you know, I'm an unbeliever. I'm a degenerate. I don't care. And yet my life is so smooth. I don't have those problems that you have of always having to go and feeling guilty. Right then, a couple of ducks flew up. And instinctively, the master just, you know, shot both at both of them. One of them he killed, and one of the ducks had a broken wing. And he spotted it, fluttering there, and and told Sam, go get the duck. Just get the one that's living. Forget the dead one for the moment. Get it before it, it, it flees. And Sam, at that moment, said, I've got the answer for you why I struggle, boss. You said Christianity is no good because I, I have to struggle so. Well, I am the duck with the broken wing, and the devil's after me all the time. The sin force is always after me. But I'm alive and struggle to get away from him. But boss, you're the dead duck. No, no, that's true. Unbelievers are the dead duck. See, we struggle, but part of the struggle is the fact that we're alive. That's why we struggle. I like what Martin Luther said. Martin said, you will never be completely without sin, Martin. I mean, he's talking to himself. You know, when you see someone going down the road talking to himself, you guys say, hey, wait a second. Well, Martin Luther used to talk to himself a lot. But anyways, he said, Martin, you will never be completely without sin because you still have the flesh. Therefore, you will always be aware of its conflict. According to the statement of Paul, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Do not despair, Martin. Do not despair. Therefore, but fight back. Don't gratify the desires of the flesh. You see what he's doing? Hey, I know the struggle. But thankfully I'm alive and I can at least see the struggle and I can go against it. So hopefully you are the lo- uh, living in Christ. You have, you're alive and therefore you struggle. And that gives you the assurance. Let's stand as we sing to him.